So as I was saying, one time when I was young, I'm not really sure how young, honestly, let's just say it was six, okay? Who knows? I'm pretty sure it was before I was 16 and after I could walk. So somewhere in there. Um, th this is my recollection, okay? This may or may not have happened exactly like this. This is just the way that I remember it. So we were at church, and the communion elements were being passed through the congregation. I could see the first tray coming our way, and as I was uh, watching it, I was getting set up to do what I saw everyone else doing. I was going to take some of the bread, and that looked kind of fun, very tactile. I wanted to tear off an extra big piece, but as the tray approached, my parents went out of their way to pass it around me. They blocked my moves with the understated uh, movements of parents who were trying to avoid a scene. No, Graham, not this time. Not this time? What does that mean, not this time? The rest of the service is a blur, okay? And then the end arrives. I'm pulled out of church by the hand, and I was dragged down the sidewalk and hurled pell-mell into the back of the car, and where I was left whimpering and whining about the injustice of it all. And I can remember saying, but I am hungry, and I wanted a snack too. So clearly I had no idea what was going on, right? Today, Let's talk about that. But before we do, uh, I want to put this in the context of our series as a whole. So next episode will be episode three, baptism. Then episode four, marriage. Episode five, child dedication. Episode six, heartbreak survivor. Last week, last episode was number one, the we story. It's so important that we started with the we story because it impacts all of the other uh, steps that we're going to be taking. We are in the habit uh, of seeing our spirituality as personal, private. Thank you very much. And this is a cultural weakness that we have. While our faith and the pursuit of it is deeply personal, it was never supposed to be private and absolutely never was it to be independent? We are to move forward together in community. And that, quite frankly, is one of the areas that we fight back at the most. It's communal when, when you help me. It, it's communal when we celebrate. But I don't want you getting up in my face about how I live or how I behave, or the way I interact with people. That's my business, and that's personal. I want to do what I want to do with who I want to do it, whenever I want to do it, the way that I want to do it, and I don't want any of you interfering. That sounds dangerously close to what we learned last episode about the path that ancient Israel took. And the author of the book of Judges wrote it out in a memorable fashion, described it like this, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that led to devastation, 
devastation to the nation for the tribes and for the individuals, but no one wanted to give it up. Me first. Yet, we are called by Jesus to love one another, to submit one to another. This is the one big new commandment that Jesus gave to his followers, to his disciples. John 13, 34, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so should you. So you must love one another. So the we story is essential to our going forward well and wisely. On this road trip, in earnest pursuit of Christ, we are being brought together into one. We have hope and freedom in the love of Jesus. And this really is our guiding thought. This is what drives so much of what we do. We are called to shared discernment. It is not our default, and the, and, uh, the we-ness of it cries out against our natural instincts. Episode two, this episode, is communion. Uh, that's one of the sacraments. A sacrament is a religious rite or a ceremony instituted recognized by Jesus. So Jesus told us about it. He directed us to do it. Sacraments are also sometimes called ordinances. We do what he told us to do. We are obedient to his commands. When we obey him, we show that we are friends with him. John 15, 14, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now, this is not the pettiness of a small child saying, do what I want or I'm taking my ball and I'm going home, right? In our obedience, we create an outward physical display of trust. It is a physical manifestation of the relationship. Jesus asks, do you trust me? Yes? Then follow me. Follow me through here. Trust me. Come with me. I know that this might look a little bit unfamiliar to you, but I've already gone this way. I have already lived this out. Do as I have done. So communion is a we step in the we story. It's a together, shared moment. The Apostle Paul describes the approach in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18. Right before he goes on and he shares perhaps the most well-known communion passage, how do we do stuff together? This takes management and decorum and understanding and mutual submission. So verse 18, he says, In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Come together. That, that's the understanding of what is happening with the Corinthians, or coming together well, perhaps, is the understanding. This is what we are to do. We are to come together, whether digitally or physically. Um, we come together, but for what purpose? To, to, to accomplish what? A ritual takes us through uh, familiar elements repeatedly. We rehearse and we remember things that are of significance uh, for remembrance, for proclamation, and observance. So here's some of what's going on in communion, the significance. Number one, it is a memorial or a remembrance. And Jesus states this in Luke 
22, 19. Well, Luke describes it, and then Jesus states this. Uh, Luke says, and he took bread, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. A little later on in history, the Apostle Paul shares what he has been taught when, by the other apostles when he met with them personally, and they, and they trained him in these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Jesus, and when he, Jesus, had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, he's talking about, again, the bread, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we remember, but it's also the anticipation of. It's not just for now, um, not just that we would remember something that is um, from the past, but something that um, because of the past, we look towards in the future. That future um, reminds us it's not just about the moment that we are in. That life of Jesus moment is an illustration for us. So that illustration is a picture that we can hold on to. It reminds us of the future that we anticipate. That future drives our hope. It is placed in time in our future, but we live currently in light of what will happen later in the future, right? So eschatology, that's just a fancy word for saying the study of the end times, the things to come. And this future anticipation is an animating force. It brings life now, our eschatological hope. We have hope to live now in the midst of all the muck and all the mayhem because of our strong, sure belief in what will happen. We are empowered currently by our future hope. That's power for living today. That's applied trust. That's one of the ways in which faith impacts our ability to live. So faith is not just a word to describe what we believe. Hey, don't mess with my faith. That's not what my faith says. It's the word that we use to describe our relationship to God himself. Okay, uh, here is Jesus now speaking at the Last Supper, before his arrest, before his crucifixion, before his resurrection. The resurrection empowers our hope. Without the resurrection, we have no hope. Matthew 26, 29. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There is more to come than just what's here right now. Number three, it's the symbol of the new covenant. So don't forget about that new covenant that Jesus initiated that offers us the promise, hope, reality of relationship and partnership with God. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. 25. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Number four, it's a symbol of identification with Christ. It's not just about him, it's about us identifying with him. So our union, being linked, joined together. In John uh, 6.56, say, Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Now, 
Have you ever been taken out of context? Have you ever had a misunderstanding arise because of things that you had said? Well, you can just imagine how well that little gem hit the skeptical world, right? This is just one of the reasons why the surrounding Romans thought that Christians were some wackadoo cult of, uh, full of baby-eating cannibals. And that's true. That's really what they uh, were accused of. So it's time for us to get back to our roots, right? <laughs> when people misunderstand us nowadays, we can just say, relax, it's so much better than you think, right? <laughs> people used to think that we were baby-eating cannibals. We're so much better than that. You don't need to worry anymore. Number five, fifth thing, the significance of this is thanksgiving. One of the other words for communion is Eucharist, and it comes from a Greek verb, to give thanks, which is eucharisteo, thanksgiving. Now, not everyone practices Christianity in exactly the same way. No surprise there, right? For example, Roman Catholic Church. Just a quick side note here, okay? Catholic, when you see it with a, with a big C, a capital C, that means universal. That means all of us. Catholic with a small C or with a Roman in front of it is a specific group or really a collection of groups that in general language we just refer to as Catholics. So the Roman Catholic Church recognizes a whole bunch more sacraments. Um, they refer to infant baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist, penance, confession of sin, and doing penance, anointing of the sick, or extreme unction, and marriage. All of them as sacraments. To them, these are not symbols. They are the means. They are the delivery system through which God infuses grace into you. The family of churches that we are a part of, that we are members of, the Christian Missionary Alliance or the CMA or just the Alliance, um, recognizes two sacraments, both communion and baptism, as symbols of spiritual reality and not the means um, that it is delivered. We open the door to the Holy Spirit of God to move in the lives of the congregations or as individuals. But I do not hold the power to send Him to do His work. Grace regularly, frequently, you might well uh, experience grace granted you during these sacraments, both communion or baptism, but I or we do not compel the Spirit's movements or actions. My first time leading communion at the first church that I pastored at, I, I can remember the anticipation and there was, there was reverence um, and there was awe. The format uh, was different than what we frequently do here. So maybe this will be more familiar to some of you. Maybe this is the picture of communion that you see. Uh, we would stand at the front of the church. That's the elders of the church and the pastors. And there was a draped table, a special table, the communion table. And the table held the elements in fancy, shiny, specialized metal containers. The pastors would remove the lids and then the elders would be handed the, 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 the trays of the elements. And, and they would go out to the congregation and they would pass them row by row and then when they were done, they would return to the front, which was sometimes known as the altar. The plates would be collected back from each of the elders and then from the, the final tray, the, the pastors would then serve the elders. Then the pastors would turn and serve each other. And then the whole congregation would together 
take part. Then the ritual or ceremony would continue with the next set of trays, the next element. Maybe it was just for me, but as I was taking this very seriously, I stood at, at the front of the, of the congregation and I, and I prayed for the people now of my congregation. And my eyes were open and I watched as expressions changed throughout the room, as the sense of the movement of God to His people in that place. I experienced, perhaps for the very first time, but certainly not for the last, the aura of shepherdliness. Now, I'm not totally sure that that's a real word, but as we all know, if you stand on a platform and you have a microphone, you can call forth words into existence. And so, that's what I just did. But unforgettable. It left an indelible mark on me, and that mark, that grace that I received there that day has given me part of my staying power, even though things have been truly difficult over the years. There was an infusion of grace that I experienced and witnessed that day and many, many times since then. But not everyone practices this Jesus-initiated sacrament in the same way. Why not? Well, for starters, different traditions use different words. Um, so we have communion, or the Lord's Supper, or the breaking of bread, or the Eucharist. Different words also come from different views. And there's four major views. And you're going to get your money's worth here today, okay? But don't worry, we're not going to do a deep dive on any of them. We're just going to go surface sweeping overview to catch you up. First one, number one, the traditional Roman Catholic view. Now, not everyone believes or practices this in the same way either, but this is an official or the official version spelled out in the Council of Trent in 1563. So here is your next big word of the week, okay? Tran substantiation, all right? Transubstantiation. That's the doctrine wherein the administering priest consecrates the elements and an actual metaphysical change takes place. The substance of the bread and wine, what, what they actually are, is changed into Christ's flesh and blood, respectively. The bread retains the shape, the texture, the taste of bread. However, the whole of Christ is fully present in each particle of the host. And all who participate in the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, as they frequently term it, literally take the physical body and blood into themselves. Secondly, the Lord's Supper involves a, a sacrificial act in the Mass. So a real sacrifice is again offered by Christ on behalf of the worshipers. It's a sacrifice in the same way and in the same sense as was the crucifixion. Thirdly, sacerdotalism. A properly ordained priest must be present to consecrate the host. Without such a priest to officiate, the elements remain merely bread and wine. When, however, a properly ordained uh, official clergyman follows the proper formula, the elements are completely and permanently changed into Christ's body and blood. 
View number two, the Lutheran view. It differs from the Catholic view as at many, but not at all points. Martin Luther retained the Catholic conception of uh, Christ's body and blood that are physically present in the elements. But Luther did not support transubstantiation. The molecules are not changed into flesh and blood. But the body and blood of Christ are present in, with, and under the bread and the wine. So nothing changed, but something has been added. The, the presence of Christ coexists with the bread and the wine. And his analogy was an iron bar heated in fire. So the substance of the iron does not change. It does not cease to exist um, when the substance of fire interpenetrates it, heating it to a very high temperature. So Luther, Luther went on to reject the idea that the mass is a sacrifice. Since Jesus died and atoned for sin once and for all, and since the believer is justified by faith on the basis of that one-time sacrifice, there is no need for repeated sacrifices. He also rejected sacerdotalism. The presence of Christ's body and blood is not a result of the priest's actions. It is instead a consequence of the power of Jesus Christ. View number three, the Reformed view or the Calvinistic view. And this is based on John Calvin's view of the Lord's Supper. Here the view holds that, that Christ is present in the Lord's Supper, but not physically or bodily. Rather, his presence in the sacrament is spiritual or dynamic. Using the Son as his illustration, Calvin asserted that Christ is present influentially. The Son remains in the heavens, yet its warmth and light are present on earth. So the radiance of the Spirit conveys to us the communion of Christ's flesh and blood. And he said, according to Romans 8, 9 to 11, it is by the Spirit and only the Spirit that Christ dwells in us. To Calvin, the notion that we actually eat Christ's body and drink his blood is absurd. True worshipers are spiritually nourished as the Holy Spirit brings them into closer connection with the person of Christ. Four. Final one. We're almost done. The Zwinglian view. Ulrich Zwingli. That's his name, and this is his view. Zwingli embraced the role of the sacrament in, in uh, bringing to mind the death of Christ and its efficacy on behalf of the believer. So, thus, the Lord's Supper is essentially a commemoration of Christ's death. And the value of the sacrament lies simply in receiving by faith, the benefits of Christ's death. So the fact of the Lord's Supper is, is, is no different than the nature of, say, a sermon. Both are types of proclamation. In both cases, as with all proclamation, there is the absolute essential of faith. If there's going to be any benefit whatsoever. So we might say then that it's not so much that the sacrament um, brings Christ to the worshiper as the believer's faith brings Christ to the sacrament. It's significant that in Paul's account of the Last Supper, he says nothing about the presence 
of Christ. Instead, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, he says, for whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So here's a quick summary uh, to highlight the variations. The variations are not something that we should fight over, okay? They are not primary doctrine and there is room for a variation of beliefs. We can disagree without damaging relationship. We disagree all the time in this world without becoming enemies. Let's get better at that, all right? Fewer enemies and fewer opportunities taken to create them. So first we have the Roman Catholic view. The bread and the wine are the physical body and blood of Christ. Second, the Lutheran view. The bread and the wine contain the physical body and blood of Christ. Third, the Reformed view. The bread and the wine contain spiritually the body and blood of Christ. Fourth, the Zwinglian view. The bread and the wine represent the body and blood of Christ. Four different views. Reality, there's many more views than that. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Then the pandemic came, and ceremony and practice came into question. And it really hurt the church, the church's people, not so much the church's institution. We had to think long and hard about what we really believe and, and how we thought about God's people and, and this uh, God's people following the instructions of Jesus. This do in remembrance of me. And for some, they were cut off. For some, there was innovation in delivery. A communion is a time uh, for followers of Christ to remember what Jesus did for us, of dying on the cross. Jesus died for our sins, receiving the punishment that we deserve so that we can live with him now and forever in heaven when it's fully manifested. So bread is a symbol of God. Jesus said that he is the bread of life, right? He is at the meal with us, the, the bread of the presence, right? He sits in our midst. It is a we moment. It is a together moment and into one moment. An Emmanuel moment, a God with us moment. And so often spiritually, it feels like oh, we just can't do anything, right? But we did. We trusted. Trust is something that we can do no matter how we feel. Never before have we had so much while feeling like we have so little. Our human progress cannot be only economic and material and technological. It's got to include that, but it must also be communal, moral, and spiritual. Churches are not museums. 
uh, they, that, that display perfect people. All those who are not perfect and are here understand that. They're hospitals for the wounded, the hurt, the injured, and the broken. And they're here to find healing. A church should observe the Lord's Supper whenever they want to repent from sin, recommit to righteousness, renew their faith, and receive Christ's sanctifying grace. So through our resurrected Lord, what's filthy can be cleansed, what's broken can be fixed, what's sick can be healed, what's empty can be filled, what's twisted can be straightened, what's weak can be strengthened, what's dead can be made alive. Now, in the alliance, we celebrate Jesus, right? Jesus, only Jesus, ever Jesus, all in all. We look to him as our savior, our sanctifier, our healer, and as our coming king. We have strategically placed around here those four titles of Jesus. Take a look at them today if you, if you haven't looked at them before. Read them, see what they say. Who among us does not require the love of Jesus expressed in those four folds of the gospel. And in communion, we celebrate all of these. Sanctification. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is not to display miracles, but to make us holy, to sanctify us completely. The best evidence of the Spirit's work in your life is ongoing sanctification, not supernatural experiences that you may claim. The stories of miracles are so frequently unverifiable. A transformed life is undeniable. I coveted. I saw something that I wanted and I took it. It did not belong to me. I went beyond thinking about it and I did it. I coveted and I stole. It was a navy blue sweatshirt. I don't like to admit those things about myself and certainly not publicly, but it's true. I did that. And I did it while I was at Bible school. While I was there supposedly learning how to understand God and to pursue Him, how to teach others about Him and His ways, so it's worse. Not only did I, I just covet and steal, I also became a hypocrite. That thing that people despise about Christians so vehemently, I did it. And how I got out of there without a lightning bolt striking me dead is a wonder. But the bolt did strike. I'd never given up my desire to earnestly pursue Jesus. I just added sweatshirt acquisition as a side element. I, I, I didn't really want to think about it, so compartmentalize. I love the spiritual atmosphere at school, especially during spiritual life at Emphasis Week. The place felt solemn in a good way and, and, and holy and, and, and good and powerful. And there was just this sense of gravitas over the whole thing. It felt significant. It felt important, but not self-important. It wasn't about me being important. It was about me being included in involved in something spiritually significant. It was one of the first places and times that I ever felt the idea of being actually in partnership with God. I was training 
I was learning, I was developing so that I might live on mission for him and with him. It was good for me then and it has lingered as being good for me now. Spiritual Life and Emphasis Week uh, concluded with a special meal at the end, right after the big event, the culmination point, the whole college, the whole seminary, the professors, the students, the administration, the staff, everyone, everyone gathered for our together celebration of the Lord's Supper. And then the, and the service began, and, and, and I already had this kind of tingle of anticipation. There was just something in the air. Dr. Gordon Smith uh, was our academic dean, and he was leading us. And he does a great job. He really does. He's thoughtful. He's insightful. He's authoritative. He's inspiring. And it was convicting. Push that down. Push that down. But it comes back up again. You are living with broken relationships. You are living with intentionally unconfessed sin. The point of this whole week of spiritual life and emphasis was so that you would lead a more spiritual life. You would increase the tempo and the intensity, uh, your intentionality in your spiritual experience. Graham, I'm talking to you. I'm not condemning you. I am opening a door for you. So communion begins. We come forward. We can come forward whenever, whenever we, we would like, whenever we were prepared to take the elements and receive a blessing. So the lines start to form uh, around the room, but, and, and I wait. I can't go. I'm not prepared. I can't sit still, though, and I can't leave. I know what I've done, and I know what I have to do, but I don't want to. What will everyone say? How will they even know? Well, what will Greg think of me? I just have to live with that. I'm so agitated. I can't sit still. I'm squirming. My heart rate has accelerated. I'm seething. I'm in agony. I'm holding back. I'm holding on to what? For what? Why am I looking back? Why am I afraid? Why am I holding back? Pride? Is it fear? I'm losing my mind no longer. I must be clean before God. So it happens. I explode from my seat. I walk very quickly to the back of the chapel. I walk through the foyer uh, to the other open doors and I look down back into the chapel and the lines are thinning. Almost everyone has already gone and I spot Greg. He's returning to his seat. So my hands are shaking. I am alive with this otherworldly energy. I feel like I'm vibrating and I hustle in and I kind of stammer and blurt out to Greg. May I, may I talk to you for a moment? He says, sure. So we go back to the foyer and I spill it all out. Greg, I'm so sorry. I have lied to you. I have treated you horribly. I have stolen from you. It was me. I took your sweatshirt from the laundry room. I did it. And I am so sorry. I will give it back to you as soon as we are done in here. Then the real catch. And I stumble, I stutter, Will you please forgive me? God himself is upon me right now and I have no peace. He looked at me and he smiles and says, of course I forgive you. Thank you for treating me with this special honor today. I'm happy to forgive you. 
blurt out a thank you, and then I said, I got to go. They're closing down communion, and I need to receive it today. So yes, go, he says. And I run. All my decorum has left me, and I'm shaking all over. I feel like I'm glowing. I'm praying the whole way as I go. Forgiven by man and forgiven by God. What a feeling! I come at last to the front. There's only one station left open. The lines are empty. The servers have all served each other. Am I, am I too late? Never. So glad you came. And that day I received my blessing as one who knows he needs it. As one who is experiencing it viscerally at that moment. Now, my trembling feels like it's rich, kind of reached a fever pitch. And, and, and I feel like I'm glowing. I feel like I'm, I'm radiating forgiveness, holiness even, so that everyone must be able to see it in the very back of my head. I know that there are still many things that I have left to confess, but for now, in this moment, my God has accommodated to my current situation and He delighted in me. His beloved Son who came running home, running back to Him, and I was received. And I was forgiven. The grace of it all just sort of poured over me. I was exultant. I was transformed. And in that moment, I had a crisis moment in my sanctification. I took a step, a leap forward that I will never step back from. Not perfect, but living at a level of sanctification that I had never previously experienced. It was an ecstatic moment. I was transformed. I am transformed. When properly exercised, communion allows us to experience spiritual union with God and physical union with our community of faith. It is a practice, a right that facilitates the earnest pursuit of Christ and draws us into one on the spiritual plane and on the human plane. If properly observed, when we aim for heaven, we gain earth also. So here's a pocket-sized home-use sanctification test. Your ability to be non-reactive to highly reactive people at moments. That's a good measure of your progress as a mature adult follower of Jesus. I've learned this lesson. A person's spiritual maturity is not truly visible until they don't get their way. Then you see the person. Bread. The communion bread. The body of Christ. The bread of the presence. Jesus tells us to pray for daily bread, but too often we'd rather have a Costco relationship with God. We'd rather have stuff in bulk so as not to have to come back to God so frequently. But we can't live without daily dependence in the kingdom. In the kingdom, daily bread is far greater than bread in bulk. In this, there is wonder. There is mystery. There is grace. There is spirit. There is flesh. And there is the overlap of worlds and realms. There is a thin spot wherein the physical and the spiritual overlap. 
We may experience these regularly, but we share them together when we together celebrate communion. May the grace of Christ be yours. Kind Father, I speak for myself and for my friends here. We've done a lot this week. Give me grace to step away from my work. Help me to be present in your presence as it shows up in the gifts that you give of rest and food and family. May these next hours be marked by unhurried delight. Free me from my compulsion to produce. The gift is communion, union with you. Meet with us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.